guy. Ever wonder what it's like to face a 350-pound lineman who wants to smash you into the ground? I know what that feels like. Scott Mitchell here, and I want to tell you about my podcast, Helmets Off, where I talk about the pressures of being an NFL quarterback and some of the other pressures pro athletes face when the helmet is off. It's a podcast, and you can get it free on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and at kslsports.com. On today's show, a lot of heartburn over the proposed food tax increase. And the question, censure over impeachment. Representative Ben McAdams is on the censure train. Tune in Monday through Thursday, 9 to 11, for Dave and Dijanovic. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership. I'm Jess Larson. Today on the show, we've got Tyson Heaton. We recommend Leadership and Self-Deception, the Arbinger Institute material, as a good starting point. Um, you know, as far as what do I, what do I tell people who want to, who want to make that change or shift that culture in their business and influence others? Um, I have this thing I talk about, it's like a tribal marketing adoption curve. And I really believe this, that continuous improvement operations management professional, OC Tanner, Tyson, thanks for making time. Hey, thanks, Jess. It's good to be on. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Is that your official title? What's your, I know you've got your business card. What's your, what's your official title? Yeah, it changes often. Right now it's a director of manufacturing um, and people development. So I handle all the people development stuff for the supply chain side at OC Tanner. Yeah. And then we've got manufacturing operations here. So I'm kind of excited to have you back on. Um, you know, a long time back we had uh, we had Gary Peterson on the show and, you know, 250 or 275 episodes later, whatever we're on now, that's still one of my favorite episodes we've ever done. So stoked to have another OC Tanner person on. Um, so for people who maybe didn't hear that episode and don't know about you guys making, you know, rings for the Olympic team and all the appreciation stuff that, that you guys, um, you know, have your entire company built around both the courses and the materials, can you give us kind of the the 30, 30 second elevator pitch on OC Tanner. Yeah. So OC Tanner is really, it's got its history in being a recognition company, recognition services and products company. Uh, we're really focused now on culture building and uh, helping organizations build places where their people can thrive and grow. And so we have a, a package of uh, software suites that we can help uh, integrate into a company and help them understand their people's performance and engagement buttons. Recognition is really at the heart and core of engagement strategies. People want to feel appreciated, and, and when they do, they they grow and they contribute more. And then we have a, a series of you know coaching software and a wellness platform and uh, a few other things that we can kind of help large uh, multinational corporations are our target client. But uh, there's really a benefit for those companies to having a consistent program and platform across their organization that we target. Yeah. You know, I remember, I think the first time we met, this was back before our company Mylan was one of the affiliates for the Shingo Institute. And I was, uh -huh. I was more finding out about them and doing these tours at different Shingo prize winning organizations. Um, and, uh, you know, it's such a, it's such a big deal, you know, where they're kind of like the Nobel prize of that stuff. Um, yeah. but, uh, I remember, on a tour, I think Gary was leading it and you were doing more stuff in the lean, like the leadership and learning side of the business. Mm -hmm. And I remember you talking about the idea of like really taking adult learning seriously. And like, I, I think you were talking about like cognitive load of like, have you really designed your program the way that learners learn or what would be easy for you to deliver? Um, if that wasn't you, you may as well take credit. But <laughs> if it was you, can you talk any more about this concept of being more in tune with 
the folks you're providing something to? Yeah, kind of the the model I draw out. I've tried to simplify it um, for a lot for business leaders to have access to it and use it as a, a framework. But really, the idea is that as you know, young children, if you watch them try and learn and grow and develop, they really small children have no anxiety related to making a mistake. <laughs> but uh, you know, adults go through this period of adolescence where they realize that being you know that the way to adult properly is to always be right and never make mistakes and don't show weakness or um, vulnerability in the face of your peer group who may reject you from the tribe, you know? So yeah. the idea is that, that there's a, a concept at the base of it that says learning and growth is the natural human state, but as adults, there's a whole bunch of things that get in the way of us vulnerably engaging and learning and growth. And if you look at your work environment, you can probably look around and say, what are the things that are getting in the way or increasing the stress and tension when people go to learn? And businesses often result to, I call it uh, survival tension or, you know, kind of the learn this or else, or will incentivize your learning um, to do things. So it increases the stress of failure and the risk. Whereas if you'll, if you'll work on reducing all of those negative tension components, uh, people will learn in a much more natural and healthy way. So survival tension must be um, greater than learning tension in order for le adult learning to happen. So instead of resulting to increasing survival tension, businesses should look around and de decrease learning tension, um, which may be you know, try not to don't don't throw a person brand new into a group of experts and expect them to learn, like break down the job into small pieces, help make it digestible, link, connect with them on a personal level before you do it. So there's just a bunch of whole small whole bunch of small things that you can do to decrease um, that learning tension. And then you don't have to result to increasing as much survival tension. So that was my that was kind of my spiel. Yeah. If, if people if people take stock and do a really step back and look at the the environment they're asking people to learn in, they'll be like, oh, no wonder why it's hard to get people to learn here. A minute, you can change your environment to to make it better. Why do you think that doesn't happen as much? Why do you think the uh, stepping back, the self reflection, is less common in business? Uh, probably probably your core measurements for productivity. <laughs> the the I don't know. I mean, why doesn't it happen as much? That's a good question. Seems businesses like we, are, part of it seems well, like we don't have a habit of doing it. Yeah, there's not a habit. Businesses are typical business is is paid to produce the same amount of value over and over and over again, right? Like people pay for the product you can produce today, not the product you might produce tomorrow. And I think when people are when people first come into an organization, the goal is to um, you know we hire for skill. I think there's a whole bunch there's a bunch of history around it. I think that probably lends to it, like. The way we post jobs, the way we interview, the way we expect performance, and um, the goals of an organization to produce the same value over and over rather than look for the value that might be produced tomorrow to create a learning organization. I don't know. It's a good question. Well, Probably a lot of this. Yeah. I, I want to talk about this in terms of enterprise excellence. You know, I know that's really kind of the the, the direction Shingo is, is mm -hmm. pushing all the materials, this concept. And uh, so I don't know if you've heard, but... Uh, in the Tom Peters book, uh, he's got a book out. I was just listening to the audiobook of The Excellence Dividend. Uh, you mm -hmm. guys get mentioned by name, which I thought was kind of totally. fun. Yeah. That's good. Um, and just, you know, over the years doing so many tours and hanging out with people like Gary and yourself and others over there, um, I, I guess I really can see why. But for folks who for folks who haven't been to an OC10 or they don't know some of the stories, 
Can you describe some of the things that are different about working there versus somewhere else? Yeah, it's it's funny. It's hard. I think it's hard to describe. Like our customers know it when they come visit, and I, people know it when they come visit as well. But um, to explain it to people, I I'll generally talk about the founder and the founder, Albert Tanner. He had he had some really strong ideas about business and its its role, and specifically his business and. He, he'd always challenge, he, when he went to his accountant, he wouldn't ask how much money did we make? He would ask, what's our giveability? So this idea of, of giveability and, and that the business exists in a way to benefit the community and benefit those in the area was really strong to him. And he thought of his employees um, in a way that he wanted to make their lives better, that he wanted to see them grow and have financial freedom, you know, the freedom from fear from want from uh, conditions that depress um, the soul and and innovation so he he very much was interested in providing financial security for his employees and there's a lot of structures that are set up in terms of the basic packages that benefit employees but in a much bigger way there's a focus on how are we growing and developing the people that it, that are here and how how are we channeling um, our energy towards our purpose and mission of helping people feel valued at work, helping people grow and engage here. And I think um, that's a difference when you come to OC Tanner is that you can see that people really believe the mission, that they believe that we are better together than we are apart. There's probably 40 different languages spoke at OC Tanner. It's been a, each time there's been a crisis, we've been a, you know, Salt Lake's a Red Cross center and we've hired um, really diverse group of people and helped them connect and integrate into society and and grow here. And I think Tanners knows that that's a huge benefit because they've they've lived through it and been through it. The average tenure on the manufacturing floor is 17 years, so it's really kind of an interesting big multicultural family in a way. So I think it is it is funny when you guys do the tours, and just like walking around with the folks like. It is so completely obvious the the diversity. Like, do you know I mean like you don't have to know the so and so is a refugee or so and so, you know, grew up in this country, right? Just like the like the hairstyle, the the clothing, the yeah. the the accents, the whatever, right? And it's funny that you call it a family because I totally would have used that word of this like. I think a lot of people would like to claim that word where you guys really have this like I don't know. I just get this sense of like acceptance and belonging and like genuine teamwork instead of like uh PR teamwork. I don't know if that yeah. makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when I when I first interviewed for OC Tanner, I wasn't I wasn't looking to make a change. They were using a training technique that I was interested in, so I I really applied for the job to understand the training technique they were using. And when I when I had interviewed here, I was um the tour on the floor kind of shocked me. I was like, that's a whole lot of diversity, you know. I, I've lived in Utah for a long time. I don't think I've seen that level of diversity <laughs> outside of OC Tanner. But the other thing that I noticed that I, you know, that I've been interested in, I'm interested in really high performance work systems that require less, how, how would you say, require less directional authoritative leadership to make things happen. Like I'm interested in uh, if you can build the bonds of connection and trust within a group what are the potentials for minimizing management needs and management interventions that place relationships at a transactional level? And so at the end of the probably sixth interview, they asked me if I was going to come work here. I had to really think about it. And the potential I saw in terms of 
you know, there's been a leadership group here at OC Tanner that have done 20, you know, 20, 30, 40 years of trust with the people who work here and they've stayed. And the people who, who work here know that when the company has tough decisions and it's a difference between a bottom line profit and doing the right thing for their people, the company will take a sacrifice in profitability in order to do the ethically and morally correct thing. And it's on that basis of trust that I think so many more possibilities open up in terms of the way you manage, in terms of what people are willing to do, in terms of how they contribute to the organization that that makes that makes this an exciting place to be and work at OC Tanner. And I think that's the that's the intersection that the Shingo group and us have that's really interesting in terms of um, being able to catch glimpses into that. And I don't know if you can build it any other way except after years of trust and consistent decisions where people really see and validate like, oh no, they're really serious about those values. Yeah, it reminds me of the uh, Warren Buffett saying about reputation takes 20 years to build and five minutes to lose. Right, yeah. <laughs> well, let's do this. <laughs> let's take a quick break from our sponsor and then I got some more questions for you. Okay. Hey, Andy Phillips here, and I'm Tom Hackett. You may remember us from that time when we used to try really hard to make plays on fourth down. Well, we're back at it with a brand new show called Special Forces Gang, where we give you new perspective on what it takes to be a football player. We talk all things Utah football, sports, and life. Don't miss Special Forces Gang. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or on kslsports.com. Go Utes! Okay, so before the sponsor break, Tyson... We were talking about a lot of different things. Um, and the question that was coming to me is, I mean, you guys have people literally fly in from other countries to come tour your organization. You've, you know, you talked about this, your interest in a high performance culture that doesn't need a lot of <laughs> dictatorship at the top, right? I, don't, I know you didn't yeah. say it that way, but um, <laughs> um, what I'm interested in is, you know, we've got so many clients that are consulting for Mylan who that's what they want and they, they genuinely want it. Uh, but they they you know they get roadblocks they get roadblocks all over the place for for becoming something like that because it you know they do need to pave new roads over old ruts right and that's right. that's not painless um, when you think about um, somebody who you know they're they're somewhere in management and they really have bought into the vision and they recognize how much like better for the business's bottom line how much better for people's like happiness and well being like. They're really drinking the Kool-Aid the whole way around of like, this is a better way to run an organization. Yeah. Um, when it comes to helping them help others recognize that, what kind of advice do you have with, you know, knowing that executive schedules are so busy and if it ain't broke, why do we have to fix it? Attitude is so prevalent <laughs> and, you know, the lip service to doing things better, but the status quo is heavy, you know, knowing that they're up against something like that. What's, what's some of your thoughts or, or, or success stories you've seen either way? Yeah, so we like there's a series of things we recommend to people. I think um, we recommend leadership and self-deception, the Arbinger Institute material, as a good starting point. Um, you know, as far as what do I what do I tell people who wanna who wanna make that change or shift that culture in their business and influence others? Um, I have this thing I talk about. It's like a tribal marketing adoption curve, and I really believe this that. Um, Oftentimes when leaders join organizations, they want to make these big sweeping changes and they want to get everybody together and decide this is the way we're going to be and this is who we are and we'll, we'll carry it all out. <laughs> and I, I have yet to see that really successfully happen unless 
the leader of the company who decides this is either the founder or the son or daughter of a founder that took over their their parents business and they have that ability to do it otherwise the the change or shift of culture to this you know high high performance interconnected people who are bonded and connected to each other and bonded and connected to the mission um, and they see the work becomes secondary the work becomes the means to exercise the values towards the purpose and vision it's the opportunity um, to engage in that way I, the only other way i've seen it happen and it's slowly is you kind of somebody you know preaches the good word like this is the way we'd like to operate and they find a few followers or a few other visionaries that want to connect and talk about it and it's never more than two or three people at the beginning and they talk and they understand and then they they start experimenting and and testing these techniques and they attract followers by creating pockets of success in an organization that then can translate and spread after that. But it's really, sometimes it happens virally, but a lot of the times it happens through, um, initially through this, um, you know, you kind of got to be a crazy, what do they call them, entrepreneurs now, people within the organization who want to see something change and can focus as much on their area, focus as much or more on their area of control and creating that environment in a pocketed section of the organization that represents some of the culture's best values. A few, a few of the things that I do and that I encourage that people do is to, to research history, especially history of the company. So if someone comes to me and says, hey, I want to do this, but I don't know how, I say, have you researched the history of the company, the values of the founder? That no business exists for profit. Rather, profit is the result of pursuing your purpose well. So go back to that founder, find out and rediscover the purpose for which he started this business if, if a company's lost their way. And that and tie your desire for excellence and your values into that founder's mission. Because that's how you re-narrate a story in my mind. Yeah. And so and, and that that's it. So that's a that's a process where you can leverage and tie to the values of the founder and kind of it's kind of like almost a resurrection thing in some of these older companies that have been around a long time or that have lost their way through a you know an IPO or something. <laughs> you know, but that tracks like I'm such a big fan of the Chip and Dan Heath book called Switch, the Stanford mm-hmm. professor and his brother. And this idea of like finding the bright spots, like spotlighting the bright spots, instead of I've got this great idea to fix everything from scratch. They're like showing up and showing people what has been successful in the past and how they could just do something that's already been done before, especially if it's within their organization, within their culture, within their something like that, right? What yeah. What's interesting is A, there's that like self-identity piece, but B, there's there's actually like a significant de-risking of the <laughs> of the choice because of previous success, because of previous patterns that you're not like just doing the Indiana Jones, you know, step of blind faith, right? <laughs> There's some precedence for it. It's kind of in the DNA a little bit, right? Yeah. I mean, that's a bet. If you can leverage the DNA of what's worked in the organization and build off of it, it, the older the organization, the, the more you are in like necessarily required to do that if it's a really young organization and it's in it's like you know genesis stage the the histories i mean you are the history you're the birth so you can help you can help create that and that's about being intentional about your routines and the way you are and what's what's important to you and and being intentional about your values yeah love it well um let's do this 
you know, people who are interested in these kind of things should obviously be connecting with you on LinkedIn. But uh, one of my favorite questions I've been asking lately for guests is, um, as we kind of wrap up part one of the interview here, uh, what's what's an important piece of advice that you would give a younger version of yourself if you could? Oh, if I, if I could go back to my younger version, like a younger version of myself, I would probably say, don't be so consumed with being right <laughs> and correct. Uh, it's and and focus on relationships, connecting with people. Um, I think being a scientific leader is important, but being a leader who has genuine love and care for the people that they work with and for the the purpose of their organization, it it can certainly compensate for a lot of you know personal flaws and has a way of growing you. And I think I have I have I avoided that for too long. I I resisted uh, connecting in a really human way with others because. I was more concerned with being right and effective and efficient. So that'd be the advice. Solid advice. <laughs> okay. Well, everybody tune back into part two of our interview with Tyson. Uh, going to do more of this. Well, that's it for the episode. One other thing I wanted to tell you about, if you remember the guys from Convoy uh, in episodes back, Ken Free and Trent Mano, I went on one of their CEO trips to New York and I met a guy named Brent Thompson, very successful entrepreneur. He was former CEO of Jive Communications big uh, company now, I think three or $400 million. Anyways, he, uh, he started a new company called blipbillboards.com. I'm super stoked they're a sponsor now. But I, I remember a year and some ago when I met him, I thought it was genius. Instead of having to buy six months or a year's worth of billboard um, for thousands of dollars, you can buy eight seconds at a time for like 10 or 20 cents. You pick what billboard you want it on, what time of day you want it to run. And it just puts so much power in the hands of of marketers and CEOs who want to try something and see if it works. You can buy as many or as few as you want, change it as many times as you want. Uh, I think now our podcast is being advertised on billboards in like 18 different states because we have these guys as sponsors. We're pretty excited about it. Hope you check out blipbillboards.com. Thanks.